some creativity. creativity for the society. The Process Podcast. It's the Process Podcast, episode 89. And today, Zach, we are joined by none other than the man, the myth, the legend, the bearded legend, Reese Bennett. Hello, hello. Welcome. Reese, Reese welcome to the Process Podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Not a problem. Thank you. We just went through basically like an hour's worth of technical difficulties <laughs> to get to this point. So the fact that we're recording and the fact that everything is working fingers crossed so hopefully, far yeah hopefully and hopefully it stays working is it's a testament to just how much of a pain in the ass technology can be and by the way i'll put this out there now just so that you are aware if you feel inclined to swear on the podcast you are completely allowed to perfect that is absolutely fine good to know we've done 89 we've done 88 explicit episodes and this is episode 89 so feel free if the if it fits the moment Go for just it. Let it out. Just let it out. Just just be loose. It's it's a conversation. It's a happy time. And it's it's a beautiful thing. And we're very like personally, I'm stoked that you are that you're here and that we're able to do this thing. Because I think when Zach and I were in first year, you Reese were probably our favorite human being. <laughs> because you you weren't you weren't a professor. You weren't a professor, so and like Obviously, enjoyment of professors fluctuates, but you as the, as the sketching TA, always, always the the coolest guy, the coolest guy in the room, and the Definitely. with the best beard, I might add. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's a very nice compliment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really enjoy being the TA for, for the sketching class, so that's good to hear that you guys enjoy me. Oh, yeah. No, it was fantastic. It was yeah. fantastic. There was a difference going from little- Catherine... Catherine's yeah. feedback on a sketch and then come to you and like, what do you think <laughs> it's like well it's just just have a soft you're like the Bob Ross of visual communications that's awesome thank you for you saying that yeah I uh that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty stellar compliment I'm I'm big on being uh very honest but uh in a constructive way it's like how do you friend. how do you how are you able to do that uh I think people uh I, I, well, I think I, I feel I come across as being a fairly honest person. So I think that when I give people straight up, you know, feedback about, you know, this isn't great sometimes, they know I'm not, uh, it's not coming from like a, a malicious place or I'm not trying to put them down. It's just like straight up, this is maybe could be better, you know? And, uh, yeah. and then you always have to kind of lead off with that by saying, it could be better, but here's how we can make it better together. Uh, not just uh, right. uh, kind of like, say, you know, go make it better, like, especially for first year students, they have such a limited, like a range of experience with doing this stuff and often don't even understand like some of the, the, the lingo that we're using. So if I say like your perspective's wrong or, or, you know, your ellipses are off or something, go fix it. That doesn't help them at all. It just kind of sends them off into the abyss being like, well, how do I do this? But if you just quickly show them. Yeah. And it's like, oh, and you can see in their their mind, like it all starts to click together where they they start to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an important thing because I remember I'm going to bring up one specific time. It didn't happen to me, but it happened to one of our friends where he had a sketch in his sketchbook, and you said, 
the perspective looks a little off. I think like, I think your lines should be here. And you drew over his sketch in, in red pen. And this, this, this is an infamous comment that has gone on throughout the four years that we were in school with this person. I'll keep them unnamed for now. But the line that you drew, which in your mind was the correct perspective, was basically exactly over top of his existing line. <laughs> now, I wasn't, I wasn't there in person to confirm it, so I don't know how accurate this is or how skewed the story has gotten over the, four, the course of four years. But like, where does that, where does that honest teaching mindset come from? Did you have any background in, in teaching or just communicating things to other people before you started design school? Uh, zero, not at all, not at all. I, uh, on, honestly, I, I approach it the same way that I would want to be approached as a student and that's just with complete honesty and like with an open mind and, and just coming to me like, you know, we're, we're, we're all adults in the room. So I treat my students that way. It's like, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's more of like, a uh, how I would treat coworkers. If I don't think of them as students, it's like, you know, we're all adults and we should be able to take the criticism, but also build each other up. And uh, I think just by approaching it that way, I think students really appreciate that. And I've had like really great feedback from students and, and really great results from students as well. Like uh, like having students with having like zero experience, like even like to the point where it's just like, you know, barely able to hold a pen. And then at the end of the, the first year, they're like sketching at, you know, like a nearly a professional level. And to see that kind of like improvement over, you know, just eight months, it's like, sometimes unbelievable to see the health, the quality of the, the work they have to do after such a short period of time. Yeah. It's incredibly impressive. And like that, that's one thing that I remember specifically, and I'm sure you do too, Zach, of being in first year, Catherine would do critiques. And then I think every couple of weeks, maybe even twice a semester, we would have to come up and sit at your, um, at your desk Reese, and mm -hmm. you would like flip through the sketchbooks and I would always get so nervous. Cause I always <laughs> thought that I was good, but deep down I knew that it wasn't, I wasn't where I needed to be. And I was just get super nervous. Like, Oh, Reese is, Reese is going to like, Reese is just going to beat me up and like flip through and just tear the sketches apart. And obviously it never, it never went that way. But is, is there any point in time where you're dealing with a student and you start to doubt the advice that you're giving them? Like in the sense that maybe they're not progressing as they should be. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've had experiences like that. Yeah. Uh, and how do you, how do you deal with, how do you deal with that? Uh, well, you, this is one thing I've learned over like the last, I think I've been doing this now for like six years with, uh, with, with uh, doing the sketching class and there's students who really want to get better and they put in the effort, but just for whatever reason, they just, they're not progressing. And, you know, often it's just more practice, you know, unfortunately, like I tell students, they're like, what's the secret to learning how to sketch properly? And I'm like, just like do it a lot, be observant. And like, if you know these basic things about like perspective and stuff um, and you practice a lot, you'll get good at it. But you get those types of students that they, they are eager and they try, but they're just not quite progressing as fast as they want to. I don't want to say heads this, they should. Everyone goes at their own speed. Those students will get there eventually. I don't worry about those students. It's just like, you know, unfortunately it's like a time thing. You know, you might take two years to get to this point where someone might take three months to get to this point, And that's just the way that it is. But then you get other students who don't progress, but they're obviously not putting in the time either. And that's where it gets a bit tricky because I want to, I always want to encourage them, but at some point I can't do it for them. 
and I can only encourage them so much. So at some point, you know, it's, it's becomes, it comes on to you and your own responsibility to, to do that. So but with those students, I still try to encourage them the best I can. I always just, you know, repeat those, those basic principles about drawing. You know, if you can just really practice these things, you will improve. But on the, in the end, it's, it's up to them to do it. So I don't, you know, I don't try not to lose sleep at night about these students who maybe aren't putting in as much effort as they should be. And it's just the reality of the situation, right? Like I said, they're, they're adults and I, I treat them as such and I do my best. I always make sure that I at least try to do my job to my best ability. And it's a, you know, it's a two way street at some point. So I just, that's kind of how I look at it. So. I think that's a relatively productive way of looking at it because you can't, you can't get too involved and it's like, oh, you're not doing enough. You need to keep doing more. And then it, it, it doesn't go anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Like I said, like the, the, end of the, the energy goes back and forth. I feel that I try at least to always be, you know, upbeat and uh, kind of, you know, excited about everything so that you guys also as students feel that, you know, get that energy from me. Hopefully you give it back and, you know, we all get better because of it. But if you're not getting that from someone, you know, at some point you have to say, well, you know, I, I see where you're at and that's, that's totally cool. If you, that's the level of uh, effort you want to put into it, you'll get those results, which will you know, reflect that. And that's mm-hmm. totally fine. Uh, but I'm not going to, you know, like uh, be overly force, like force them too much, you know? Yeah. yeah. You can't bend over backwards no, and exactly. try and force exactly. someone exactly. to do it. Like an, another thing I've, I've always do as well with the students is like, we expect you guys to keep a sketchbook every semester. So every semester I also keep a sketchbook. I try to fill in my sketchbook, but I don't always. Uh, but uh, I always at least try to do a few pages a week, um, usually more than that, just so that when I have students come up to me and say, you know, I couldn't get my sketches done because of this or whatever, I say, well, I'm working a full-time job as well. You know, you guys have a full-time job here as going to school, and I found some time to do this. So I expect that you guys can find some time as well. Uh, even just like, you know, the bare minimum, you know. Um, but then also that shows, I find, it shows like, you know, I'm, I enjoy doing it. So I think hopefully some of my enjoyment kind of spills over to some of the students who maybe aren't super crazy about sketching and they can get into it more. Uh, but also just to have examples for students if they're, they're like, um, you know, wondering what they need to sketch or like wondering what quality and stuff, I can just pull out my sketchbook and be like, look at what I'm doing. Uh, and here's why I do some of these things. And here's some of like the techniques and the, and the, the stylistic things I picked up over the years. That you can kind of you know try to emulate if you want and you know you can have a lot of fun with this stuff by uh just like you know experimenting and and like really trying to find joy in it because for me i love sketching so much like it's what i do for fun right uh so i really try to impart that on the students as well that it's not only is it like a valuable skill for your profession but it's something that can like really just improve your enjoyment of life in general if you if you do this when you're and then like, you know your spare time whenever you're bored or whatever that's so true. Yeah, That's I so I rem- see. I remember like, yeah, when we have to come up to you and and sit down for a bit and discuss the sketches. And I remember seeing like, like when you do your own sketches and see like a car or something. I'm like, oh, I want to do that. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I want to learn how to get there. And then yeah. I go back to the desk and I'm struggling to draw cubes or something. But <laughs> but one thing Real that was is interesting that I I still remember pretty clearly one of the one of the strongest memories was when in Catherine's maybe it was second semester first year when you did your your goggle demo oh okay yeah yeah 
And I, because up until then, like, obviously, when Catherine, (laughs) yeah, the curved, yeah, Yeah. and like, yeah, Catherine does her demos, and you know, it's, you know, she's doing it very quickly, obviously, and she's always saying, you know, like, oh, I'm just doing it quickly, blah, blah, blah. And then, but seeing you come out and do that and, and, and spend a little more time on it than Catherine usually would in her demos, and, and seeing someone other than Catherine do the sketches and seeing your style and being like, oh, yeah, it's very different than Catherine's, and, that's okay and that's cool you know and yeah i still remember that i'm sure dylan you remember too like do you think like oh god how hard can a a goggle or something you draw and it looks flat and you see right here this is how you make it look curved and it was like a mind-blowing experience (laughs) yeah yeah but sketching a sketching goggles are easy until you actually try and do it yeah yeah and And it's like oh wait a second that's a it's like the subtlety of the form right it's having the control of those basic skills to be able to to use them in a way that gives like you know subtle subtle form and what like the in the way you want thing you have to look in the end like i have that same issue i have that same issue when i work with the like the third or fourth years with their uh solid stuff um it's like uh i'll be helping them out and they'll say like what you just did in like five minutes it took me like three hours to get to that point and all i can say to them is like i've been doing this for like 10 years now so when you when you do it so much you just get you don't really have to think about it anymore and rather than thinking about the you know what is this geometry I'm trying to create? You can think about those subtle little tweaks that you're going to make to to the form to not only make it look like really cool and really really like slick, but also like how is it going to function? What's the ergonomics and all that kind of stuff? So those things are always in the back of your mind when you're working on this stuff because you've mastered the the basic skill set, right? Like same thing with SolidWorks, same thing with sketching. It's just uh, you you don't focus on like how how do I do this? You're focusing on how do I improve my design. So those the skills are just kind of embedded in you, and you you're not you know focusing on like for example, how do I draw like a curved plane of perspective and stuff? You're just thinking like how what what form do I want these for for, for example like goggles to take, right? Yeah, I think that's like a key point for students to get to where often you don't maybe get that to that point till maybe your first year in the industry or something like that when you're really working lots, but um, uh, it's like a kind of like a aha moment I find for other students when they get to that point where they they start designing and stop just sketching. You know. Yeah, I think that was definitely like one of those turning points because I think up until then we, I mean, I can't remember what we did early second semester. Maybe like the we did the tractor when we started putting kind of shapes together and make more complex things. But I think that was the first in second semester. Oh, tractor was first, first, semester. first semester. Oh, was it actually? Oh wow. Okay. My okay. Yeah. What well, like up until then like. I think the goggles are the first thing where it was like more of an actual product. And like you said, it was less about, yeah. The emphasis was less about like, Hey, how do you actually draw? This is more like, Hey, how, how do you apply those skills to like an actual product? And, and like you said, like start thinking more of the design and not just, okay, how do I set this up? And yeah. you know, it was that, it was that turning point where you're like, Oh, okay. You see all these, th- these months spent on doing, you know, setting up ellipses and planes and everything to now actually putting that into a, or applying that to an actual product. Yeah, I it's tough. That was cool. like, I remember that. When I, I remember when I would sketch and when I would do something, sometimes in my mind, especially in first year, sometimes in my mind I would have occasionally, because there was points where Reese, you would, you would have given me feedback and I would have said, okay, it's like Reese said this, but then understanding it and implementing it is something that's more difficult to do. But again, it needs to be done through the act of doing it. Yeah. You can't just think your way to the solution. You have to physically do it 
you have to make a couple mistakes and you have to ultimately retry and retry. Remember the first time I I was big into drawing bikes in my first year and I would draw the front wheel and the back wheel and the ellipses were obviously quite, quite ambivalently terrible. They were awful. And I would try and put so much detail in doing the tire wall and then the rim and all the, the lines for where the brakes were. And I was trying to sketch them as full freehand ellipses because I thought that's how it's supposed to be done. And then Reese, you told me, you said, if, if you're going to worry about a tolerance that thick, just roughly freehand it. You know, it's, it's so small of a detail that it's going to be visually implied anyways, when you step back at it. And I think learning that, like we've, we've talked before about the illusion of detail. It's understanding when and where to implement that illusion of detail that is that can also be very important to understanding design sketching. Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned before that you absolutely love sketching, which is extremely evident. We creeped a bit of your Tumblr before this. Re- oh, yeah. Resketching dot Tumblr or something like that. And there's a there's a few images there, some how how ancient is that? Like how when was the uh, last time you updated that? I'd say about five years ago. Yeah. I, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty old. That's before. That's before we started school. <laughs> yeah, I know. Jeez. Yeah. So where did where did that love for sketching come from? I, like, were you always doing that as a kid? Always, always, always. Ever since I was like could like uh, pick up a pencil, I was I was drawing. My mom has like uh, drawing like these drawings of like colored pencil drawings I did of these like flowers for her from when I was like six years old hanging in her kitchen and uh-huh. she, you know, she always tells people like look at these drawings that we did he was only six and like honestly it looks like maybe a 10 year old did it don't want to toot my own horn but it looks pretty <laughs> bad for a and uh but I was always drawing always always drawing and uh I didn't have any formal training until I actually decided to go to Humber um I did a year of like upgrading because I'm like I'm from Manitoba originally so our hmm. our high school system does not align with Ontario's high school system. So you guys have like college and university mm-hmm. level courses, and we have different like different a different tier system. So I had to upgrade some of my oh, like some of my um, high school courses, and I also have to take some university entrance courses to be able to come to Ontario and to go to Humber. Okay. So I took a fine arts course when I was at the University of uh, Manitoba, and. That was the first kind of formal training I had, but it was really rigorous. I think it was six hours a week, six or nine hours a week. I think maybe it was three, three hour classes a week. And uh, so I learned a lot in that, that semester, um, not design stuff. It was all fine arts training. And, uh, but still like really, I was able to build my portfolio that, that got me into Humber eventually. So, yeah. Wow. I oh, never wow. knew that. Yeah. I also never knew that Manitoba had a different high school system. It's it's just like the grade 10, 11, 12. Like, you know, in grade 12, you guys have college and university levels. We have, yeah. we have like, uh, like maths and stuff. You There's a, I can't remember what they are, but there's like an advanced, a mid, and then like a, a lower level that you can take. But I don't think they, they don't right. quite correspond the same. So when I applied for the first time to Humber, they're like, oh, we don't recognize some of these courses as being the same level as like our college courses so i had to like take i had to retake some of my um high school courses at like a higher level oh wow oh yeah Yeah. that's a bit of a pain that's a bit of a pain in the ass it was a huge pain ass i was going to so i was going to university full-time and then taking 
I think I did three three courses I had to take high school courses again and so I did that in night school and uh oh my God. so it was all like during that one it was just awful it was like it was awful <laughs> and I was working for, like talk about all the time too it was it was not fun talk about put talk about putting in the work and just suffering just to get into this program oh, yeah. just to suffer and not sleep anymore yeah, yeah I know I know yeah how did you um how did you hear about the ID program at Humber then because like when me and Dylan talked about it, our our journey of discovering it, and both of us had no idea what industrial design was, all the way pretty much up until we applied and we randomly discovered it and was like, oh, this kind of encapsulates everything we like. This looks like a good job. And when we were talking to Catherine, because we didn't know that story either, like it was the same thing for her. She was going for architecture, which seems like a lot of the roots, like all of us are the same. And then she walked past a wall of id work and was like oh that looks never mind that's what i want to do right so that's the that was the same for you you just discovered yeah, kind of pretty, I, pretty late kind of yeah like i was like i said i was going to the university of manitoba because so i wanted to upgrade and stuff like that because i knew i i found the humber um course online and i i basically what, what it was was like i knew i want to do something artistic but I knew that I wasn't quite like fine arts people, especially going to like the university level where they were like, they were like, yeah, fine and all that kind of stuff. I'm not one of these people. Like, you know, like they're great, but like, I, I'm not one of these people. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so when I discovered like the industrial design marriage of all the things that I'm interested in, and then I noticed that also that Humber had the automotive design, like, uh, So I knew like like the idea of doing vehicle design, um, or just like trans transportation design, especially for, for like the opportunity uh, like concept art and stuff like that for like you know TV and, and, and movies and stuff would be super awesome, right? So like, oh yeah, like I moved to Toronto when I was nineteen and I haven't gone back home. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you've been here. You've been here ever since. I've lived here for like, twelve years now. Yeah. Wow. That means you are okay. Let me do some mental math. <laughs> give me, give me two seconds. I don't know. I can't process that. So, was like part of that because I can, I can't relate to that because Aurora is not a small town at all, and I, I live forty-five minutes north of Toronto. But there seems to be something kind of endearing about that small town lifestyle, and then moving to the big city to get the big, the dream job, what was, did you have any aspirations coming into the program of where you wanted to end up at the end of it? Small town, even, even uh, an overstatement for where I'm from. Like I'm from a, like a small, uh, uh, commercial community on Lake Winnipeg in Manitoba. So they went from home to go to high school. So it was like small, like rural, remote. Yeah. That's really small. <laughs> like many, you know, I think I was like 15 or something when we finally got dial up. And uh, so it was, it was like Whoa. very, very, like, you know, very different from the lifestyle I live here now. So for me, it was just like just having the opportunity to, to even move to Toronto for school. It was like, holy crap, like that's a huge, that already was a huge, just a, like a, a goal to reach. So it's just, so for me, like being yeah. here with like whatever happens next, you know, I've already kind of won, you know what I mean? Um, so I didn't have any kind of end game. It was just like, let's get through the program and see, see what happens afterward. And having gone through the program, you know, I discovered like my kind of loves within, within industrial design and, um, 
yeah, it just kind of happened. Yeah. Wow. Wow. A hundred yeah, people is seems tiny. extremely <laughs> small. Yeah. Very, very small. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. That kind of blows my mind. Like even like that, that's, that's probably about as, sm- as small a town as you can get. And now would you say if you were to look back at yourself now, like when, or if, if the person you are now could go back and tell your 19 year old self that right before you moved to Toronto, that you would end up at the point where you are now with the successes you've experienced and the career that you've had and the places that you've been able to work. What do you think your 19 year old self would say? Like, you're absolutely, you're absolutely crazy. There's no way that's going to happen. Uh, I think my 19 year old self would just be like, like I have a smug smile and be like, Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> like, Oh yeah. Like, uh, of course that's going to happen. Like I was, I was always a really hard worker and I'm not afraid to put in the time and the energy to, to get what I want. And, um, I've, I've always been like that and I'm still that way. And I feel like I'd be, I'd be like proud of myself probably looking at that if I was to tell my 19 year old self that, but I don't think I'd be terribly surprised. It's like, you know, if you put in enough time and effort, you're going to get somewhere eventually. And I've always been willing to put in the time and the effort. So I, t- and I, I totally agree. Yeah. It's I've, I'd using the term loosely, I'd say I've worked alongside you when I was a peer tutor and the peer tutoring job is still a pretty loose term of employment. It's more or less show up if someone needs help who hasn't already been helped, you lend, I can lend them a bit of a, a bit of advice, but even just being able to be in the same room in an educational position with alongside you and Catherine with with the visual communication stuff was super inspiring to me like i i'm now i'm not heavily considering it but i would say probably within the next five years i'd like to go back to school do some kind of a master's surrounding education okay so i can go back and i told kath i told Catherine, i said whenever whenever reese if reese ever has to leave humber or leave his ta position for whatever reason I said I will be the first person to fill that spot if if it ever comes oh, yeah. up. She, I said, she would I'd, love to have you. She would love to have you. I'd I'd love to do it. Like, and I think part of it is because I'll be I'll be completely honest. We I everybody in the program totally missed you in 2019, 18 to nineteen was it when we were in third oh, year? When something we like that. Yeah, yeah. Because I worked as a peer tutor with Catherine for during my third year as well and came in on my first day expecting to see Reese Bennett there. And then I came in and Reese Bennett was not there yeah. and I shed a little tear. I was like, Oh crap. Yeah. yeah I got a full year of this now. That was the first year I'd taken off and it was only because the place I was working at wasn't willing to give me the, the day off to go back to Humber. Like every, every other place I've worked there always are like, if you want to take a day off to go and then do the thing at Humber, like by all means go do it. Um, but the one place I was working there just kind of, they weren't as cool as the other places, I guess. They weren't as uh, as relaxed. Yeah. So I had to take the. I, I wasn't able to go to Humber that year, and it, it was uh, to be honest, it was like uh, I really missed it because one thing that I really love about being able to do the TA thing is that it really like mixes up my week. So I'm not sitting at my desk, you know, doing CAD five days a week. You know, it gives me that one day a week where I can go and I'm on my feet and I'm interacting with people all day. And uh, so for me, it's really valuable in that sense, where it's. Um, something different i i tend to get bored easily like if i'm doing the same thing you know i can only do it for so long before i'm like i gotta you know i gotta do something else gotta mix it up again so by having that one day that's just like a complete refresher so i can go back to my you know my full-time job you know 
like fresh mindset, you know, new outlook, you know, speaking to students who for the most part are all excited, you know, maybe a bit tired, but they're, you know, have that youthful energy that I like to so for me it's like a really, really great thing. So I definitely missed that one year I wasn't able to go. Yeah. Yeah. We I I missed you too. I was very excited to have to teach to tutor alongside Reese Bennett and then that didn't happen. <laughs> but it happened the next year, so yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It was it was it got to the point where Catherine asked me to do the demo of the tractor in person in, in class. And I had to get up in front of all the students and do the tractor demo, which I don't I, I hadn't even sketched a, a tractor, let alone like a vehicle since first year. I was like, oh, I better not I better not mess this up. Now bef- before we dive into what your first year was like, oh, I totally had something on my on my mind to ask you. Just lost it. Left my brain. <laughs> oh, I was like right on the tip of my tongue too. Oh no, this is terrible. Oh, this always happens. I'm sh- short term attention span. So, okay, all things being said, then since I can't remember what I was going to say, going into your first year, because we've spoken to a lot of the. A lot of our peers that we graduated with or that were in our year. And for the most part, everyone has a very, seems to have a very collective experience of what first year was like, especially because a lot of us came right out of high school and didn't really have an understanding of what design school was and kind of how it operates, like the day to day. Oh, I do remember what I was going to ask you, but now I'm on another train <laughs> of thought, so I'll ask that after. Take a note, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what was, what was your, first year experience like because you i believe you you started in 2009 you did school in 2009 uh i started at Hummer. i think it was 2008 because i did design foundation and right. and then i started in the id program in 2009 i think yeah right and what was those first say the first months of id what were those like for you i loved it i loved every second of the four years yeah. to be honest yeah i uh it was a lot of work and uh but like i said i was totally up for it i i was super excited about moving to toronto i was super excited about all the new stuff i was learning uh i had no idea what to expect going into it uh but having you know after the first couple months i started to realize i was like holy crap you know like i am maybe good at this and then after you know the first year i was like i am good at this and i can be really good if i really really apply myself and uh so for me it was just like super fun i had some of the best best times Especially with my classmates, I had a really, really fun group of group of uh, students, and uh, we had a really fun time. Really, really fun time. It was exhausting, wow. but it was super fun. Yeah. Was was the program at all different to what it is today? Uh, it was definitely a bit different. Catherine wasn't there yet, um, so so wow. Bruce, Bruce was doing all the the uh, drawing, like construction, the discount stuff, and. Um, Definitely was a different learning experience from Bruce. Catherine's a lot more, um, like a lot more structured in a sense, like one thing builds upon the next. In the end, it's like you can demonstrate all these skills. Whereas uh, when I took the course, it was, we were kind of expected to know a lot of the stuff already. So it was like more like topics of things that we were drawing each week rather than these uh, step-by-step lessons on on these skills and building that skill set. So it was a bit different in that sense. Yeah. Um, it kind of relied more heavily on just your, your ability to draw right off, right off the bat. Um, but that was definitely different. And I think overall it was more or less the same from what it is now. Besides that, uh, I know like, um, the, the model, model making course was definitely a bit different. Um, 
but we didn't have Dan. Um, we didn't have Tony either teaching. It was a uh, different instructors oh. who were teaching it. Yeah. So, um, and I, I know they completely restructured the, the, that that course now. So I, I think it's a lot a lot better from it's improved a lot over over the years. Um, but yeah, like this was like ten years ago at this point, you know. So things definitely have changed, and the programs evolved over over those years. Would you say it's better now than it was then? Oh, certainly. Uh, like when I when I started TAing with Catherine, like I said, I had never had Catherine as a as a. I had her once in third year. Um, it was for like a multimedia course, and I don't even think the course is in the program anymore. And uh, yeah, I don't so, think so I never had her for drawing. I never learned any of the stuff from her. So that first year that I TA'd, I learned just as much as the students that I was teaching learned because all this stuff, like I knew how to draw and I knew how to sketch really well and stuff like that, but I didn't understand the, the depth that I needed to understand about how, like I said, like really, really understanding all those base, base, base principles and those fundamental things about, about drawing and drawing perspective and, and manipulating form and all that kind of stuff. I did not grasp that as much as I needed to and now i like you know in my mind it's just like ingrained in there those skills but i learned that definitely the first year that i ta'd a lot of that stuff wow yeah it's it's good to know then that at least because i think when we were in the program it's you kind of get short-sighted or tunnel vision you kind of operate with the blinders on and you say like oh like the program sucks because a prof doesn't respond to an email or something like this or a pandemic happens, like, oh, the program sucks and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. Obviously, like, no, no, no school program will ever be perfect, but it's, it's good to hear. And I think now looking back on it, we realize how beneficial the program actually was to us. And like what we were able to, to get out of it is, is and continues to improve. So it's, it's a good thing to hear that it is still maintaining and hopefully improving and evolving and what what it gives these students was when when you graduated was there anything that you wish you had known going into the industry or something that you would have done differently when you first started working professionally i think i would have been a bit bolder and set my goals a bit higher for what i wanted i don't think i believed in myself as much as i should have or could have at the time um and i think that's just something that comes with like age and experience like after after working for a couple of years or a few years you're kind of like you know like it's all becomes so uh all the things you're unsure about when you graduate like uh you know manufacturing stuff and you know just design stuff and how does it work in the real world and all that kind of stuff it just becomes so clear and obvious to you and it's so like not easy but just like uh manageable very manageable you know and when you're graduating from school there's so many so many unknowns you know you don't know what to expect you don't know where you're going to end up working and and uh i think just being yeah like being a bit more bold i think i would would definitely have uh something i would definitely recommend myself and even to others when you are coming out of school just don't be afraid to just go for it you know yeah i like that like i I think when i because i started working over summer around july i think i i finally got employment which i'm very grateful to have but even now like in the day-to-day i can kind of see how i'm not as bold as i could be even just you saying that kind of makes me say okay well there maybe there is a point where i can step a bit more out of my shell or put a bit more of myself forward um so i i mean 
personally, I appreciate that. Just being able, being able to hear that and know that I'm not alone in that sense, or Zach's not alone in that sense, or anybody else who's just starting a new job isn't alone in that sense. Like it's, it's okay to be a little bit apprehensive when you start something, but it's also good to understand that it does come like it, it comes with time. Oh, yeah. You just got to yeah. give it, give it the time to start. So where, where did you start working after you graduated? My first job was at Shape Products, uh, which is like a consumer electronics, like a kind of mm. straight up industrial design. You know, that's what they do kind of thing. And that it was a like I worked there for a year, I think, like the first year. And I learned as much in that first year working there as I did in all my four years at Hunger for sure. Because it's just like wow. fast paced, bam, 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 project after project after project. And like, uh, one of my main like weaknesses, I'd say, coming out of school was my CAD skills. Like, I'd say I was like almost passable at CAD. <laughs> like, really? like, not very good at all. And uh, the guys working at Shape were like wizards, like complete like SolidWorks wizards. And uh, the, what I learned from them in that year was like mind blowing. Like, uh, I went from being like, I like I said, very very unsure of my skill like not confident in my skill at all with doing like any kind of cat and i left after that year being like like you tell me to build anything show me any kind of any kind of sketch of any doodle or whatever any shape i can model that no problem and uh like having that level of confidence like coming out of that i was just like that was like the one thing that i was really unsure about my about like my skill set was my ability to translate my stuff from my sketches into a cat model that was a realistic product that could be produced because um, you know you just don't have that much experience when you're in school you know you do lots of projects but they're not like you don't have um like a realistic like you know there's no uh for instance like you get like sometimes you'll get like internals and things that you have to build your cat around it's like real stuff that people are like these parts exist and this stuff has to work and uh you know you don't you don't have that that kind of um mistakes when you're in school it's like sure it didn't work or you know you didn't quite do this right or whatever it's like oh well you know better better next time you know but when in the real world yeah. it's like this doesn't work and now this cost us a hundred thousand dollars in tooling or something like that so you that that level yeah. of like holy crap i gotta do this right um was really like really really like bear down on me when in my first year at work but by the end of that first year i was like no problem this is not not an issue for me anymore wow yeah that's a big confidence booster. Oh, it was great. The guys. So why did you leave? Sorry? Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say the guys working there, like the like great designers, but the level of like understanding of CAD and SolidWorks there was just like holy crap! These guys are amazing. Yeah, in my mind. Man, I need to get need to get on that level, <laughs> big time. Yeah, big time. The uh the gentleman that I work with, Lachlan, he graduated he graduated from Humber in two thousand and ten, and he himself is an absolute SolidWorks wizard, like so proficient. No, somehow knows like keyboard shortcuts to do all these <laughs> things and like can make a model with, without even like using the mouse. Please. <laughs> Just transfer whatever's in your brain, put it in my brain and then we'll be good to go. And I remember the first time where we had to, I was working on a CAD model to send it over to him. I was so nervous because it was me and my little primitive fourth brain minded CAD skills trying to give him this thing that probably wasn't even going to work. And then he was like, yeah, it's, this is, this is pretty good. And I said, Oh, thank God. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So why did, why did you leave shape? 
Uh, I left shape because I, so I, when I graduated from school, I, I, I wanted to do uh, furniture stuff. It was kind of what I, I kind of wanted to get into that. It was kind of like what we're calling my name kind of thing. And I had an opportunity from a local wood shop actually in Toronto and they gave me the opportunity to go and like the guy taught me everything from like everything about building furniture. He's like, if you want to learn this, like I'll, I'll teach you everything and I'll bring you on as like an apprentice kind of thing. Um, cause I was super eager, super interested. And, uh, I, like I said, like I learned a huge amount of shape, but I was like, I don't want to do this forever. And I, I, yeah. something that really like weighed on me a lot was, um, design, designing stuff that people don't really need a lot of, like, uh, we'd be doing like, you know, Bluetooth speakers and all that kind of stuff. It's like, you know, and yeah, like no one really, for me, like no one needs an, a new, the new generation of like a Bluetooth speaker that has an extra button on it or whatever, you know? And it's just like really, really yeah. contributing to just so much waste that it really, really bothered me. And um, having the opportunity to, you know, like design and build furniture, I was like, this is a great way to kind of offset that. Where like, if I'm, if I'm creating waste, at least I can create something that someone can keep for, you know, maybe it would be something they pass down to their family or something, you know, like the opportunities there for that to happen. So that's was one of the reasons that, but furniture really drew me in and then having the ability to work with my hands like i said like i grew up in a really small town we did a little like I was, i'm used to like you know being on my feet and working with my hands a lot so that really really appealed to me and i worked for about four years i think four or five years in different wood shops around uh toronto i went from like zero skill to in the end like being like one of like the like the like head like um, woodworker guys in, in, in the shops I was working in, like over, overseeing production and stuff wow. and things. And uh, so like that was a huge skill or a huge boost from my confidence as well because that level of skill that I was able to achieve over those like four, I think it was about four years um, from literally zero knowledge to, you know, being someone who was like quite knowledgeable in what I was doing. And I felt really confident that I knew what I was doing to the point where we were working, I was working in a place where we were putting out like, you know, like, like between 50 and 100 pieces of furniture a month. And uh, that was just like a small, wow. a small wood shop. There was like maybe ten of us working there, and uh, and you know it was great. It was super awesome, super super great. But uh, in the end, it's a lot of hard work, and you don't get paid very much, unfortunately. And I felt that I wasn't, I wasn't using my degree enough. I wasn't having the opportunity to design as much because I was like I was on the the manufacturing side of things always, so I was always doing production. Um, and uh, so that was one of the reasons why I kind of jumped back into working in the studios. And uh, after doing the furniture stuff, like the production stuff, I was able to get a job in a, a furniture studio in Toronto. And I worked there for a couple of years. And that was like amazing. We did all, all um, um, like office furniture and stuff like that. And some, some, some hardwood furniture as well. But it was mostly uh, for companies like Neon Camper and, and, and um, Steelcase and, and places like that. So it was, it was really great. What does a portfolio look like to get into a furniture design company? Uh, my portfolio didn't really have any furniture stuff in it. It had all my ID stuff in it, but my skill set and knowledge in making furniture was what kind of got me that job. Because it's, it's like, you know, like if you can design a car, certainly you can design a chair, and if you can build chairs, certainly you can design it as well, right? So. Uh, I kind of had such a broad skill set. And then again, like with my hands-on experience doing this stuff, uh, you know, it was just a kind of a, that was a huge bonus because I actually had the most knowledge in the studio with, with working with wood. 
and uh, doing like hardwood furniture in like a like a like a, um, in that like traditional sense. Whereas most of the furniture the guys that were working on there was like metal and and different laminates and like uh and things like that, right? So uh like cast aluminum and stuff. So uh, to bring in that kind of more traditional uh, sensibility, it kind of just really fleshed out the whole team. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, was this great. I love working. Was this love for furniture something that you kind of um, found during your time at uh, at Humber? Or was this kind of like a love that you've always had? Before? Yeah, it was something that definitely developed more after. But my last couple of years of school and then after I graduated, and, and it came from... Um, I was really, like I was really interested in doing automotive stuff when I was in school because it was uh, for me like really fun to sketch that stuff right like sketching cars and stuff is really really fun, but in the end I always found like I'm just I'm just drawing something to make it look cool, and I'm just you know trying to come up with a form that is you know interesting or whatever, but there's no real like function to the outside of a car and sometimes maybe with like a, a truck or something you know there there's there's function to the outside. But with furniture, like it's so driven by the function and the aesthetic often comes from the, the different like features and stuff that the, the, the product itself has. And that's what was really, really drew me to, to furniture was that it was so, so based in function. And um, like even I learned a lot about systems furniture as well when I was working at the furniture, furniture studio I was working at. And, um, and that's like a whole nother level. That's like, like you can design a, a table, you can design a chair, sure, but try and like imagine that it's like a, like a Lego or like connects and all every different type of, of variation of how that chair and table and desk and all these other like storage units and stuff can go together and it has to work in any different combination that you can come up with. Like that's what systems furniture is. And it was like, I, I found that to be super interesting and super fun. It was extremely tedious at times. Um, but like super interesting to take something that's as simple as like a desk and how can you turn that into a system that can accommodate, you know, a hundred people or, or 20 people and all this kind of stuff. It was really, really cool. Really interesting. Wow. So when I, I remember we had a guest speaker come in and talk about designing a desk, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Gibson from Neen Camper came in and spoke with us. Um, which was really cool. He was a great talk, but we're not here to talk about him. We're here to talk about you. When, when you go into designing, say a desk or a table, the, to the common person, they would look at that and say, well, it's a table. It's, you can't really design it. Cause it's, it's got a flat top and the legs, you know, <laughs> that's kind of, that's the effect. That's effectively what a table is. How, how are you then able to inject? Cause obviously like we understand what aesthetics are and how you can implement those and to make something look cool. But just because it looks cool doesn't necessarily mean that there's a derived function from that. In the, in the example of say designing a desk or designing a table, where does that like, it seems like it would be something that's simple to do. And I'm sure it's not. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it depends. So but like, firstly, to make some like something like a table like look have like a unique aesthetic, it, for me it comes down to the details. Something is so simple, it's literally a flat a flat surface with four legs. Often, then you can really only inject that unique aesthetic in the details. So, so there are like edge treatments, the styling of the legs, how the legs come together, how they how they join to the table, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then also 
if you go into system stuff, it comes into, you start getting into the world of like, how does um, that table combine with other things to create unique working interfaces kind of thing, right? So how does um, uh, storage integrate, what type of storage and what size of tables and, and, and our work surfaces and things like that can all come together and what style of leg and how does that leg allow you to join other uh, part, pieces of furniture to that desktop and all this kind of stuff. And it gets really crazy, like it gets really, really complicated, but that's also where the, the uniqueness comes in where when it becomes a system. Hmm. Are you familiar with artifacts at all? I don't think so. I would highly recommend that you just peruse their website and look at some of their products because I, I found them on through an Instagram ad, I think, when I was in early third year or right at the end of summer before starting third yeah, year. You did that in and one of Taudi's projects, right? Yeah, yeah because yeah. We, we ended up doing a graphic design project mm -hmm. around where we had to do like brand identity design. And this company artifacts I'll, I'll send you a link after cool. um to their website but stunning just stunning furniture design and that immediately got me interested in the idea of furniture design and then the whole idea became it's like well it it almost seems like it's just been done like you were saying a table is a flat surface with with four legs but now when I look back at where my mind was at that point and I look at the products that they've done and the system that they have within that and the fact that it's all, it's most of it is in the details immediately, like within the last 30 seconds, I can now understand more of what that means with furniture design is, is the whole concept of designing within the details. Is that something that you can translate to? Um, say like seating surfaces like a chair or a couch as well. It's the same type of a mantra. It's all the same type of thing. Like something like a chair is a little bit different. It's more it's more complex in its form. You can there's a lot more freedom there with how you how you can push and pull that shape to be unique. But with something like a table, it's it is what it is kind of thing, right? It's it's so functional. Yeah. Like chairs, if you look, there's you know thousands and thousands of different chair designs. They're all different. They're all unique. They all do the same thing more or less. But they're all unique in the sense that they have uh, specific like materials, specific proportions, and like specific like function in terms of being like is it a uh, like a task chair, is it a lounge chair, and things like that. Um, hmm. So there's more variability in things like that. It's easier to have a unique form. Um, but like I said, with a table, it's depending on the type of table, but it's it's pretty 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 much comes down to the details most of the time. Yeah. yeah. Is there any future aspiration for you to start your own furniture studio or freelance studio at all? I did. Originally, that mm -hmm. was my goal. Um, and I have abandoned that goal now uh, for a variety of reasons. I realized I, as much as I love um, building furniture and, and, and designing furniture, I don't want to run my own business. I worked for a lot of real, I worked for like a lot of really small um, studios and seeing that side of things like the running of the business it does not appeal to me <laughs> enough to be able to take it on myself i'm actually like uh on the verge of taking like a huge career path change right now i'm actually going back to school uh starting on monday mm. and uh i'm taking the right. animation program at seneca so i'm going to be kind of uh 
branching off from the, the industrial design world and moving kind of more into kind of my original love of doing um, like illustration and stuff like that. So um, oh, cool. I'm planning on going more, more on that route in the future. So a big change. Wow. Mm. That's, That's cool. I heard Catherine, Catherine told me that you were going back to school, mm. but she never said what for. Yeah. I, I I immediately assumed it would have been for UX or UI, something like that. Uh, oh, I was thinking about that. I've been thinking about doing this for like the last few years now. And, and uh, with COVID and stuff, I was laid off on my job and I had the whole summer to kind of sit around and think like, you know, what do I really want out of life and what I really want to do with my career. I've been doing like the industrial design stuff for like 10 years now. And, and um, I was thinking, you know, like, is this what I want to do? Is this kind of, you know, in 20 years, do I see myself still doing this? And and the answer was always a variable, a variably no. And uh, my original love and my, my original goal when I was a kid was to be an illustrator and to write and illustrate children's books. And uh, wow. yeah, that was like my, when I was like 10 years old, that's what I wanted to do. And uh, and in March, because I, like I said, I've been thinking about this for the last few years. So in March before the pandemic, I took, a, I guess it was in, from January to March, I took a continuing ed class at OCAD. And it was uh, illustration for children's books. And I just did it on the weekends. It was just like, just for fun. Cause I, I, I felt like um, with sketching, like all the time I'm sketching, I'm always drawing and designing and everything, but it's always industrial design. I'm never kind of branching out from that. Right. So I really want to force myself to kind of get into more of the illustrative side of things. Cause I really, really love that. And uh, so I took this course just for fun and uh, I loved it. I really absolutely loved it and, and really kind of reinvigorated my, my drive to, you know, maybe I should kind of start thinking about switching uh, career paths a little bit. Um, so over the summer, like I said, I had a lot of time to think and I found the program at Seneca and I I decided like, you know, maybe I'll work on the portfolio over the summer and I'll apply, you know, I'm not committing to anything at this point, but I'll see. And uh, I was able to work on my portfolio and I actually reached out to a student, um, a graduate from the program at Seneca and, I just found her on Instagram and I uh, just reached out to her. I was like, Hey, like I'm, I'm thinking about doing this. And I was just wondering if you could give me any advice and if you could look at my portfolio I'm working on, yeah, that'd be really great. And she was like, unbelievably helpful. She actually was also basically in the exact same situation that I was in where she had had a previous career, decided to switch things when she was a little bit older. And uh, she was like, best decision I ever made. And she was super, super helpful and reviewed my portfolio, I think like three times before I submitted it and oh, wow. really, really, really helped me to uh, like hone in because, you know, animators draw much, much differently from industrial designers. So it's right. kind of, you know, you have to be a little bit more adaptable. And I was trying to, still trying to sketch in that like industrial design way. And she was like, you're probably not going to get in with this stuff if it looks <laughs> like this. Like, <laughs> just, you know, this is good, wow. but you're probably not showing them what they want to see. And she's like, if you try these types of things and, uh, you know, they'll have a much better chance. So. By the end, after you know the third or fourth review with her, my portfolio looked like something that, like stuff that I've never done before because it's in this completely different style. Um, but it was super fun. It was like I enjoyed doing it so much, and I applied for the program, and I ended up getting accepted, and I just decided to go for it. So I'm I'm going wow. for it. Yeah, Monday morning, I'm 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 starting. That's incredible. <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, first congratulations. off, congratulations on that. That's a, that's, that's awesome. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. So are you doing that? in conjunction with teaching yes it just so happens that oh. my that my class schedule aligns with my teaching schedule this semester so i am able to do both 
uh, in the future. I don't know that that will work out. So Dylan, you may have the opportunity to take my job at Harvard if you want in the future. Uh, but for this, duly noted, duly noted, semester, it, it worked out. So I was able to do both. Yeah. Wow. I I would love. We're not over. We're not done. But I would love to do a follow up episode at the end of your semester. And hear how that first semester went. That would be awesome. So what is like what is the difference in in sketching styles between an, an industrial designer versus a at this point a an anticipated animation student? Uh well from so from what I understand so far, it's a it's a lot more of mm -hmm. like well, you know, it's it's more fine arts based, first of all, whereas you know, mm -hmm. we're more on the technical ish side of things, um, leaning towards that. Uh, but also just like um, being able to sketch with emotion and convey emotion through characters and things like that. Um, so it's a lot, a lot different from you know drawing products and stuff. And it's a lot of the same stuff in terms of like, like understanding structure and perspective and, and that type of thing. Um, I'm really excited about it. But uh, it's from what I understand, it's a lot of work, uh, and I, I've been doing a lot more research into it and watching like a lot of documentaries about um, filmmaking and all that kind of stuff and. And trying to really get amped up for it, and uh, I'm, I think it's going to be really great. Really great. I was actually listening to a podcast today, an animation podcast by these two brothers who used to work at Disney, and uh, they were talking about students entering, like entering their first year of animation, specifically during COVID and like learning, learning remotely and stuff like that. Oh. And uh, one of the things that really struck me was that they were saying, uh, like. Uh, a lot of the same things that we tell our students at Humber, and one of them was, um, you know, it just takes practice. Like, we mm -hmm. give you these base level, the base knowledge to, here's these basic techniques, and you we can't teach you more than that. You have to teach yourself by practicing. And uh, the other thing that really struck me was uh, something that I struggle with all the time with first-year students, and I'm sure Catherine could probably attest to this, is, is trying to switch their mindset from thinking of, of grades and uh, that grades don't matter. And they said the exact same thing, like literally like verbatim when I tell the students, I was like, whoa, this is so weird. Cause it's a different different industry, but it's a lot of the same skill stuff, right? And it's, it's uh, kind of the onus is on you to learn. And they were saying like, trying to convince students that and it doesn't matter what your grade is. What matters is that you realize that that grade is a marker of where you are and that it's an indication of what you need to do to improve. And uh, that in yes. the end, uh, no studio is ever going to say like, what were your marks for, in, you know, in, in when, when you did your degree or your diploma or whatever, they're going to say, let me see your portfolio. And, you know, yeah. that's indicative of what your marks were usually. Um, so that really struck me when I was, I was like, holy crap, like it's the same. It's literally <laughs> just the same stuff. It just comes yeah. down to you putting in yeah. the time and the effort and being willing to learn and practice. And I was like, wow, it's just, you know, I'm pre I'm prepped. I'm already prepped because I, you know, I preach this to my kids all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's you've been through the ringer before. Exactly. Yeah. You you understand. Well, that's it. You that's understand that's so it. funny though, because yeah, like it's exactly when we were talking to Catherine the other day, right? That was mm -hmm. the big thing. We had the conversation on, you know, what you know, Dylan and I looking back on the program, thinking what's the best thing we learned, you know, besides the whole practical skills of sketching and CAD and model making and whatnot. It was that mindset of, okay, marks don't matter. You know, it's it doesn't mean you're you're garbage or that you're amazing. It just, you know, it's trying to tell you, look, like, here's some things to improve. You got a seventy. Who cares? Just 
yeah keep going yeah. right and and that exactly. was one thing that i know Dylan and i looking back wish we knew that in first year because yeah. like you said it's something you deal with the first years because you 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 think the teacher's lying to you or just trying to make you feel better yeah. by saying yeah. that right because you're like and they're like don't worry about it you're like you're just saying trying to make me feel better but like i'm worrying about it because i don't want to fail and then by the f- end of the fourth year you're like wow i wish i just did not care you know about oh. that about worried yeah. about the marks and and had that mindset because that was like a it was uh i mean i mean don't talk about it before and it was fourth year during brp and yeah. mm-hmm. uh during the brp and program. um uh what's his name uh drake 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 nolte came came, came oh, to yeah. for the mid for this for the midterm yeah. critiques and he came to talk came to see bruce and we were in the auto studio at the time and we had a big interesting talk with him but that was one thing he was talking about was was that like you shouldn't care because i think we were talking about thesis at one point and there was a bunch of us talking about you know asking him like you know what should we do like really worried about like what and he was talking about like yes someone complaining i don't know yeah i think it was something like that and he was saying like look you do who cares like don't you know they're not gonna ask you what mark you got on thesis they're just gonna look at the project you know like and it was one of those things is like damn i really wish i understood that in in first year you know and started from there yeah but like it would be great to be able to understand that in first year but i think unfortunately it's something you can only understand having experienced it like to tell someone who's exactly. just started, yeah. just starting out, they have so little experience doing this. They have a very limited skill set, and to say, "Don't, don't worry about this number that we have to attribute to everything you do." You know, it's like for them, it's like that's the that is the one link to what how they're doing basically. You know, especially if you're coming from high school, coming straight from high school, you know, everything everything is based around what marks you're getting. So to, yeah. to go and go into this completely different type of learning environment and have someone say. All that stuff you based the last twelve years of your learning on doesn't matter. Throw it out. Don't don't worry about that. It's like, well, what do I worry about then? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like, like what the hell? And uh, I I completely understand it. Like I was a student once, and, and not too long ago either, and I will be a student again. And I'm very thankful now going into this program, knowing that it's probably going to be a similar type of learning experience. But I won't worry about that stuff now because I already know. You know. I just have to focus on improving my skills. And if I do that and I put in time and energy, I'll get where I want to be. So that's very true. That's very true. What you, cause you met, you mentioned the illustration and wanting to illustrate children's books. Where did that come from? I don't know. I just love, like, I love reading. <laughs> I, I love reading. And uh, I loved illustration when I was a kid. Like, I loved it. I still read like tons and tons. Like, I, since the since the pandemic happened, I've read like I think like thirteen novels over the summer. So I was like super oh. super pumped about reading over the summer. I also played a ton of video games, but like you know, you I didn't have a lot going on, so I had lots of time. <laughs> but I always loved to read, and I've always loved um, drawing. So it was just like a natural, a natural kind of coming together of those two loves, and. Um, it's still something I think about, and at some point in my life, maybe I will write a book and illustrate it, or illustrate someone's like an author's book, just uh, as a side thing. But um, having taken that course, I learned that it's a is to become a, a successful illustrator is like a grueling, grueling 
difficult process and takes a lot of like uh it's almost like uh like when you imagine like for actors like they get shot down so many times before they make it big it seems like it's a similar thing with illustrators yeah. it's like expect to get told no a million times before you're finally told yes by someone um so i was like ooh, i don't know if i want to go from like having like having a full-time job in a studio to committing to being an illustrator where i have like you know it seems like i don't know if i'm willing to take on that risk yeah. um but uh having going into this animation program that i'm taking i'll be learning a lot of the same skills that i would need to be learning as an illustrator but i'll be able to do like super exciting awesome projects i have hope fingers crossed um mm-hmm. doing stuff that i love like you know animated tv series or some of my favorite tv so and just wow. understanding that process of like bringing your drawings to life. Uh, that's something I always felt too with my sketches. I'm always sketching my sketchbook, but it never goes beyond that. I never take my stuff and do like final line work on anything or, or, you know, take it to any, to any further level than just living in my sketchbook. And for me, it's like you hit a wall at some point because your, your skill set gets to a certain point, but if you're not pushing to improve it, you're never going to improve. So you may look at my sketches like you're really great at sketching, but to me, I look at my sketches and say, I haven't, I haven't advanced my sketching in like three years. And for me, that's a big problem. Like I could be a lot better than I am now if I did things like learn anatomy or uh, like really push to learn uh, different like paint, painting techniques and stuff like digital painting. Like I do a little bit of that, but not nearly as much as I would like to or should um, to really get better. And because of that, I, if I look at my work, I see like stagnation. Whereas other people might look and be like, oh, this looks great or whatever. And I'm like, sure, it looks good. But it's like, it looks the same as it did three years ago. And for me, like I said, that's a problem. So I'm excited about improving. Okay. I'm excited about improving. Yeah. So say, how do you deal with the mental aspect of that, of feeling like you're not progressing? I just love doing it so much that it doesn't really bother me. <laughs> like, you know, good. Yeah, I just love doing it. And like now for me, it's like kind of like I... The one thing that I love about um, design and the design process the most is the initial drawing phase. Like for me, that's where I, I that's where I live. I love that, and the rest of it's fun. But I'm not passionate about, about passionate about that the way I am about like the the drawing aspect, right? So to be able to focus in on my drawing skills and apply that to my career now as an animator, hopefully, um, I just find that super exciting and and uh, basically like. Um, taking the thing I know I can be really great at and really committing to being great at it rather than being like, I'm good at this and something I do on the side and I enjoy, but really taking that step to commit to doing it really well. Hmm. Wow. Cool. That's, in- that's inspiring as fuck. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's, that's awesome. I'm super pumped about that's it. I'm actually like so, so pumped awesome. about this program. I'm really, really excited about it. And I think it's like a really, really great move for me. Oh, I, I completely agree. Do you, is there like a specific genre of, of book or TV or anything that you gravitate towards? Like I, I can imagine surely there's something that invokes this interest in animation and, and drawing for you. Sci-fi stuff, sci-fi fantasy stuff. I, I love it. I it. Uh, when I like, even when I read novels and stuff, it's usually like a good, like philosophical sci-fi. Like mm, that's like, I love that stuff. Like uh, right now I'm reading a book called Metro 2033. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but it's about, uh, it's about the, writing it down. There's, uh, That's for sure. It's super cool. It, it was originally a, it's a Russian book, and it was just uh, an English version was just released a few years ago. I think there's some video games based on it as well. But yeah. it's about yeah, um, it's about if there there was like a, a nuclear holocaust or something, and uh, and 
it's about this society that uh, evolves in the Moscow metro. So it's about like these tribes, mm-hmm. these tribes that form in each of the different mo- the metro stations, and there's like it's super, super interesting and really, really cool. And uh, it's a uh, like right up my alley about like storytelling and the visuals, and like obviously it's a novel, but like just the the imagery it creates in your head when you're reading it, it's just like it's really creepy, but like super interesting. I'd highly recommend. I it. imagine but, you're a fan of Dune. That's my favorite series. Yeah, definitely favorite book series yes. I've ever read. Yeah. All six of them. Have you read all the books? I've read. You've, oh my god! I read the six, like the six. I think it's six from the the main trilogy, like the main series. I haven't read the the ones that his son wrote afterward. Um, I've heard that they're no, like of no medium quality, but the original series. Uh, when I read that, I think I was like maybe like twenty or something when I read that, and it was just like mind blowing. I was like, holy crap, this is so good, so so good. Are you gonna be? I mean, I don't even know if theaters will be open, but when Dune comes to theaters. I would have been first in line, and then I heard they, they pushed it back another year, too, and like, I think the movie's done. I think they're just waiting to release it so that they can have like a full theater release and stuff, which is a huge, huge bummer, because yeah. it's just like, I just want to watch it. But uh, I'm sure I'll be overly critical of it as well, because I love the, <laughs> love, the book. love the book so much. Yeah. Yeah. There was an original. There was an original Dune movie. Isn't there? There was like two of them. Right? Yeah, there was like the the David Lynch movie with Bowie, yeah. uh, which was like I haven't watched it. I watched like the first twenty minutes of it. and was just like, what is this? And then there was also a series. Oh no! Uh, I think it was like sci-fi or something. Had a series um, that also I heard was not good. Oh, so you've just you've just been let down this whole time. Yeah. So you're 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 waiting now. You're waiting. I'm waiting. Oh, I'm waiting. Yeah, yeah. Is there any aspiration to produce like your own sci-fi universe type thing through illustration? I think about that stuff all the time. You should see my my sketchbooks and notes and stuff. This is another thing. Like <laughs> like having all the ideas and stuff is one thing, but actually being confident in your skill set and moving forward to actually make something real is another thing completely. And I I don't ever do it. I just don't do that, you know. So it's like that's mm-hmm. one thing too. It's just like why, why, why not, you know? And the, yeah. the answer is I don't know. But I'm hoping to change that over the next <laughs> four or five years. Yeah. yeah. Maybe animation is that answer. Exactly. Like maybe that's like the gateway. So I'll see. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I mean, because I remember. I think this is my. This might have been a week or two before the school closed for the pandemic, but. I was I was tutoring and you were wearing a shirt and it was the Patagonia logo, but instead of Patagonia, it's Tatuni. No, no, that was uh, it's, it says the Tatuni words. No, on it. no, it's Saigon. It's is that the Patagonia? That was from Vietnam. Oh, yeah, is it? I got that shirt in Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> Vietnam. What were you doing in Vietnam? I went uh, last last summer. I went uh, for two months. I went backpacking for two months, solo backpacking to Asia. Yeah, that was awesome. I went to Taiwan for 10 days and then I went to Vietnam for four weeks and then I was in Cambodia for two weeks. Wow. Cool. What was that experience like? Oh, mind blowing. That was awesome. I've been planning that trip for like five years, saving up a little bit here and there. And I was finally able to take the time off over the summer and go. And I'm so thankful I did because like, look at where we're at now. Um, which I've been, I've been planning that trip for, for many years. I had a friend, one of my best friends, who she was living and working in, in um, Taiwan as a teacher there. She was doing um, English. She was teaching English. So I had not originally planned to go to Taiwan, but 
I went there to see her because I hadn't seen her in like two years and, and just one of my best friends and we talk all, talk like FaceTime every week kind of thing we always kept in touch and she's like you gotta come here if you're going to Asia you gotta come so I went and uh, her and uh, one of her roommates and I traveled the entire island did a whole loop of the island um, in the 10 days that I was there and like Vietnam was awesome Cambodia was awesome but Taiwan if, if you ever have the opportunity to go to Taiwan go there I will definitely go back it was like a unbelievable experience going there like unbelievable what what made it so what made it so stand out to you uh, the just the landscape like the un, like it's unbelievably beautiful and like rugged like uh, like Taiwan has the the most uh, the most mountain tops over 3,000 meters in the world on the island like it's the most packed yeah um, so it's, you're literally like going around the edge of the island and on one side like you're driving your scooter and on one side there's like this beautiful beach and on the on the other side is like these towering mountains and the other thing was the accessibility of everything like you can literally just go anywhere and just like you know go drive up this little road and there's like a waterfall that you can go swim in or like go up and drive through this canyon and there's hot springs that you can go and all this different stuff and that wasn't the case in Cambodia and Vietnam because of the Vietnam War. There's like um, uh, uh, landmines all over the place, and it was not safe to just kind of go off on your own. You have to get guides for lots of hiking trails and stuff like that. So I didn't have the opportunity to do as much of like the nature stuff that I wanted to do. Um, it was more like, you know, you kind of got to stick to the, the tourist trails kind of thing. Um, so it was still amazing, but it wasn't like the freedom of being in Taiwan where it was just like, go and do whatever you want, wherever, wherever you want to go. It's completely safe. Everyone's super friendly and helpful and so beautiful there. And it was just incredible. It was really incredible. I'm going to add Taiwan. Yeah, we're going to go. Bucket list, now. <laughs> list of places to go. I had planned on doing like a three week trip in Iceland, basically now ideally being there now and like leaving right after Christmas. This is obviously was being planned in October when cases weren't crazy and they were predicting, they were obviously predicting the second wave to be bad, but I don't think anyone predicted it to be as bad as it is and that it's as it's getting. So naturally it didn't end up working out because obviously I'm here and I'm talking to you now and I'm not in Iceland, but there's, there's something that I've fortunately like I've had the opportunity to to travel a bit and there's something about traveling that does change who you are as a person and changes your your outlook and your experience each time we have a guest on I say it's my favorite episode and it's kind of not really fair because everybody's my favorite person but this is this is just awesome I'll be the first person to say that it's it's been incredible I've got a couple deep meta type questions because we're all about getting deep and meta on the process podcast because we're highly advanced intellectual beings not really and i th i think you you've basically already answered this this kind of a question through the conversations that we've been having but on a day-to-day -day basis now more than ever especially in the covid 19 pandemic how do you stay creative it's not easy for sure. I go through like lulls up and downs. Um, I've had, uh, I think I've been a little bit more fortunate with having this goal in mind of applying for school. So I had to really work at my portfolio and like from scratch, I had to deliver specific about what they wanted. 
So I had to do everything from scratch. So over the summer, I spent tons of time on that. So that really helped. But like I said, I've been reading a lot. I've been playing tons of video games, new video games that I've been putting off for a long time to play. So that's really helped as well. Like just like getting amped up about some of the really awesome stuff that they're doing with um, like uh, styling, like um, uh, what's the word? Like the art style and stuff in, in video games. And so that all helps. And I just love, if you have a love for looking at stuff and like, re, like just, you know, going through Pinterest or, or Googling things, like, you know, it, it, all that stuff helps as well. Mm-hmm. Do you play Death Stranding? I do not. I've been playing, I've been playing, uh, I've been playing Hollow Knight, tons of Hollow Knight. I don't know if you guys know that one. I've been playing, um, I've been playing Celeste the last couple of days. I, I like I like like indie platforming games and, and that kind right. of stuff. I don't know if you guys like the Ori games. I've played those this summer. Those are really awesome. I played lots of Zelda. I played Breath of the Wild over the summer. That was really yeah. awesome. Yeah, um, those all have very strong like style and and yeah, and, yeah. and art styles in that in those games. Yeah, it was Breath of the Wild for sure was awesome because it's like we couldn't go traveling, but if you play Breath of the Wild, it's just like traveling a highway. It's so cool. <laughs> the beauty of the world in that game is just amazing so it's just yeah. like it's like sure, i'm sitting on my couch but technically in my brain i'm in high rule so it's totally <laughs> fine yeah dano thoughts on thoughts on the playstation vibe <laughs> 5 versus the new xbox console i i don't know anything about playstation 5 I uh, I have one of my buddies who was just telling me he's like I just got a PlayStation Five and I'm like I have no like I the last new console I played was like the GameCube. <laughs> I the only reason I played Breath Whoa. of the Wild because was my buddy my buddy lent me his Wii so he was like you gotta play Breath of the Wild I'm lending you my Wii and the last before that is like GameCube. <laughs> but so I, I I'm not big into wow. like the newer games. The only reason I got into some of the newer games over the summer was because I finally. Uh, got Steam, so I was able to get some of the newer the newer games that I've been kind of looking at, like Hollow Knight and, and stuff like that. Um, but 3D stuff, like plays PS5 games, like first person shooters and all that jazz. Like I don't know anything about that stuff. Not into it. Yeah, I I feel the same way. I'm, I'm very limited. The only reason I know video games exist is yeah. because of Zach. Hey, because we played <laughs> Death Stranding That's the together. Only reason. That's the only reason. That was yeah. We played it. That's a it's a cool game just for, I mean I'm sure if you, if you Google Death Stranding concept art, I think it's something you may be just totally totally ingrained in and 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 appreciate because it's it's just so visually different. Like I'm not a vi- I'm I'm not a big video game person. I don't play a lot of video games, but when I was watching Zach play this stuff and would look like Google the imagery and the artwork online, I was just stunned. Like it was just so different than anything i had seen before it's, yeah it's more and of that a was more that of a was movie. obviously a very creative there's not a whole thing. lot of yeah it's it's, a yeah, it's more of like a movie type thing that you play to be honest that's a, a lot that's what a lot of the criticism was but it was like i don't know if you know who hideo kojima is uh, no. that guy he made like these games called like the metal gear solid games and they were very oh, like yeah. he's very, japanese guy very stylized right and and um death stranding if you're into like sci-fi conceptual ideas that is like 
I still have no idea what the game's about and I finished it. It's one of those things that you're like, you finish it and you're like, I like you, everything in the game is a metaphor, but by the end you still have no idea what it's really about. But what I loved about it was like, there's like some of the games, like you said, that have a very strong art style. And if you're big into art or anything creative like that, it really stands out. And to me, Death Stranding was like for designers. Like you could tell like everything in the game like you know it's very industrial like futuristic like you know utilitarian kind of design language and everything you could tell was like thought out even the little things you're like okay you know i appreciate that someone took time to design that in like a really cool unique way definitely uh definitely a cool game i'll check it out for sure it's a lot of concept art at least is a lot of Super form and cool. function. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, the concept art is wild. Like they yeah, have um fun. do you know do you know the uh mm-hmm. the designer brand like acronym? Uh no. You ever seen that stuff? Oh, it's like this really, really expensive <laughs> designer brand started by oh, beyond or co-founded by this guy named Errolson Hugh, went to uh Ryerson like years okay. ago for fashion design. And um I think he's based out of like Berlin or something now, whatever, but like really, you know, like 3000 Euro pants and jackets type <laughs> expensive, but yeah. he's like, they have, he's in the game. Cause he like, knows Hideo Kojima and like his clothing's in the game. Cool. So, cause like his clothing is like definitely that same style. It's very like futuristic military, you know, utilitarian kind of wear. Um, so yeah, that's just kind of, it's really cool design stuff in that game for sure. Cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, highly, yeah. highly recommend. I will. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's worth the look. It's just, and again, I'll I'll send I'll send you the the link to the Artifacts website as well because I think just in terms of a furniture aspect, maybe you can maybe you can incorporate that into a into a video game or a TV series that you that you animate. We'll um, another another deep question that we like to we like to deal with because especially as recent graduates we experience a lot of it but we've also asked like we've been able to ask a couple of our friends as well who who have jobs or who are working professionals and it's it's an interesting question that encapsulates me just because i find everyone answers everyone answers it so differently and it's such a universal concept but i'm curious as to how you respen it the bearded legend of humber industrial design visual communications deals with doubt Hmm, that's a tough one. Uh, like like I said before, uh, like that fear of the unknown and all that kind of stuff. Like I've I've really struggled with that over the years, and I've also struggled with like uh, one of my buddies always used to brag on me about this about having like an imposter syndrome about like uh, feeling that you know you're you're faking your way through this stuff, and uh, and I've struggled with that really over the years, and it's just um, I think it's just in the end, it's just like. Uh, powering through like putting like knowing believing in yourself to the point where it's like i know i put in so much time and effort into this that i that i have no reason to doubt myself you know like you all we all have like our inner inner saboteur and it's like that voice is whispering in your mind like you're not good enough you're never gonna you're never gonna achieve these goals you have or whatever but it's just like a voice in your head like basically i like i see that as like the lazy side of me that wants to just sit on the couch and like and play video games like you know that's a real part of who i am as a person and i love doing that but you can't let that part of you over overcome you so that that's all you're doing, right? Uh, I don't think it's like, uh, I think it's like a perfectly healthy, natural thing to, to doubt yourself. 
but I think it's like how you deal with that and knowing that, you know, it's just something that you have to push through and, and uh, like, you know, positive outlook goes a long way, you know, positive energy, you know, you put that out to the world, you get it back. And I mean, at least that's what I found. And that's, you know, I don't know much, much more to say. Doubt is like, it's something we all have, you know, yeah. it's just, yeah, positive outlook on life. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. Keep a positive outlook. And, and also like the fact that everybody experiences oh, yeah. everyone and everybody yeah. has it. Even like when I was in the school like, and the imposter, the imposter oh, yeah. syndrome. It's a thing. It's a real thing. Like I remember being in school and looking at some of the things that these guys are doing. Like when I was in first or second year, looking at what the four dudes are doing. And it's like, how the hell am I ever going to be able to do that? Like how the hell am I ever going to be able to do this stuff? And then you get to that point in fourth year and you're like, this is easy. <laughs> it just goes back to what we're saying about fourth years, yeah. about the first years, and saying like, "Don't worry about your grades." Like they can't, you can't understand that because you haven't experienced it yet. So when you go through the process from first year to fourth year, and you realize like it's not hard because your skill levels improve so much. So if you just like you know, if you look back on yourself from where you start out and look at where you are now, then doubting yourself almost starts to seem silly because like it's just a time and effort thing. Like the doubt's going to be there, but yeah. it's just like you're. You know, it's just your brain playing games with you, you know. Mm-hmm. And along that line, what is, in your opinion, obviously, because this is, everyone everyone will have their own opinion on it, but what is, what is the most important skill within the context of design or creativity, not necessarily specific to industrial design, but design and creativity? What is the most important skill that, no one teaches uh i think like a willingness to learn and being curious kind of innate curiosity will take mm-hmm. you a long way you just want want to learn new stuff and you're always looking you will just naturally improve because you just are always filling your brain with new stuff genius that's big brain moments on the <laughs> process podcast big brain moments because i think like that's pretty like when you think about it it's pretty straightforward and obvious to think about like if you are curious you will improve over time because you'll never stop learning. Even if you don't need to learn, you're always teaching yourself stuff because you're just, you're always looking at new stuff. And if you're always looking at new stuff, you're always, your brain's always, you know, it's doing stuff in the background and you're not even thinking about it. And that's where like the good design stuff comes from, where you pull all those things together in your subconscious and then, you know, you're faced with a design problem of some sort and those things create solutions for you that you wouldn't have thought of if you hadn't, you know, spent that extra hour just, in a like a YouTube hole or, or a Google hole or something <laughs> where you're just like looking stuff up for no reason. Uh, and for me, that's where a lot of like my, my, what I'd say like my best design stuff comes from is that stuff that lives in your subconscious. Hmm. That's, that's good to know. And that's good to hear as well. Cause it's, it's just, it's tough. Cause you feel like, I remember when I started working, I felt like I should know everything about the job that I was going into and then realized that I won't know everything about the job that I'm going into because I've also never done it before and I need to be curious and I need to ask as many well-intended and obviously insightful questions so that I can get an answer so that I can bring that up to another level and then ask another question to just continue improving but it's I don't think I ever thought of it as curiosity. I think I thought of it as more of a life raft so that I wouldn't drown within the context of these jobs and people asking me things, but it it is, it's total curiosity. 
you you, you it's something that's completely that was like same thing for me we're just going through the program right like when i started like i i would see it as like it's being like open-minded to new things right compared to just cl- like being closed-minded and like coming in like the whole reason i found out about the program was i was at a I was at the Toronto Auto Show and Humber had a booth for <laughs> yeah. the automotive pro- classes. And I just remember seeing clay models, students doing sketches, and then like a wall of sketches and renders. And I was like, I didn't even know this existed. I thought like the closest place I'd have to go to to do this would be like the States somewhere, you know? Like, this is super cool. And then that was it. That's why I applied for it. I'm like, okay. And I thought pretty much all the way up until like, you know, second, third, third year was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing auto, which I did, but I was like, that's all I want to do. This is the only reason why I got into this program was to do this. And I want to do this for the rest of my life. And then as you start to understand kind of how obviously the challenges and how difficult it is to get into that industry plays a big part, but also throughout the four years, I started realizing like, actually, you know, like I didn't think I would really enjoy designing furniture as much as I did, but all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is really cool and then the curiosity starts building we're like i wonder like you know for this part of the project where we have to do a bit of like graphic design type work or a bit of graphic work like let's just jump into that a little bit to learn some more and then you're like whoa i like this way more than i thought i would and then you know opens up and now like you know automotive design getting to the industry is still something i would like to do someday but it's not like the only thing i want to do and whereas like it was the only thing i thought i could do or like you know anything else i'd i'd be upset and now it's like well actually like i recently found like a huge love in like more of like the graphics like graphic design not even necessarily logos but like posters and stuff like that and and like branding design and 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 concept art where i was like do you want maybe like that's more what i want to do just because I was like, you know, let's just look into this a little bit more and be a little more curious. And then, you know, and now like, it's like, well, there's so much more, you know, skills or knowledge I have that I can apply to other areas and and whatnot. Right. Same thing, which is something you don't expect, but it happens. And it's like that willingness to learn, but also like all of that stuff, like learning all that extra stuff, it never hurts you. It only ever makes you a better designer. And uh, like, sure, focusing on one thing is, is good. And like, there's no, I know lots of guys who like wanted to, you know, they did automotive stuff. They went and became automotive designers afterward. Like, that's what they do, and that's their lives. But I know many, many more designers who went in many different routes, myself including. And at this point, I've done most most of everything. I've done product stuff. I've done packaging. I've done some graphics. I've done like furniture. I've done large scale installation stuff when I was doing like building stuff and both sides of the fence and and i don't regret doing any of that stuff it was all and like i don't see how it all that experience won't help me as i move forward even into like a new career path i don't see how that stuff won't make me better at what i do in the future i have a final question for you reese unless zach has anything else to go for it to ask but my, my my final question for you, because this is this is a big personal goal of mine, something that I've aspired to for for many years, is how does one grow a beard as well and as thick and as intense as yours? I 
like <laughs> how, how, how do you maintain that? I don't that? do a lot to maintain it. Uh, I, I unfortunately, know. the top of my head has been going the wrong way, whereas my face has been getting thicker <laughs> over the years. Um, I don't do a lot to it. It's just, just this way, just naturally. I don't know. I'm blessed. You got blessed. good genes. Eh? I was able to go like 17. Like not this wow. thick, but I could do a full beard. Yeah, 17 or 18, and I've had it since then. Full beard, I think I had a full beard now for maybe six no. or seven years. Wow. See, I've been growing this since I was 18. And I'm at I'm at this stage right now, and there's there's nothing there. <sighs> okay, well, I mean, it's good to know that you're just blessed with good good genes. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I was. I'm 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 extremely envious. Extremely it's one of my envious. great prides. But hey, you know what? <laughs> oh, absolutely. You like from across the room, you see that thing. It's like, oh. This man means business. This man means business. <laughs> I definitely noticed once I started growing a full beard that if, people uh, like assumed that I was wiser than I was. <laughs> it was immediately changed. Would you say that that? Would you say it's true? Uh, I don't think that it is. It, is that a true no, statement? I don't think so at all. Uh, over the years, certainly I'm wiser now than I was when I was 19. But I don't think I'm as people assume if you have a beard that you have the answers that can come to you and ask you things and you'll have answers about them. And I'm just like, I don't know, you know, you're trying to give an answer, but a lot of times I'm like, I have no idea what you're asking me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well that's that's a good thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and grow a beard. Next time you come on, I'm gonna try and have a it won't be a Reese level beard, but I'll try and have have something 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 to present to the class, so to speak. Um if there's if there's someone who wants to reach out and wants to connect with you or or just to just to ask you some questions, is is there a way where people can connect with you online or or through socials or Probably anything? Probably the like best that? way is just Instagram. Uh, I'm Reese B, mm -hmm. just R E C E B on Instagram. I got lots of work on there. I try post stuff. I try post stuff once a week. It doesn't really happen that often, but uh, you know I'm open for conversation on there too. Awesome. And um, anything else that you would like to to add or put out into the universe of the Process Podcast? Mm, I don't know. Parting words. Just no matter. I think I think one good thing, especially for students, is that no matter what uh, you do, uh, no matter like the amount of questioning you put into yourself and that kind of stuff, the answer is almost always practice. You'll get better. I have so many, so many times with students who are like, what's the secret to be good at this? And I'm like, unfortunately, it's just putting in the time. Nothing for it except just to do it. And oftentimes people are not willing to put in the Very time or practice. Yeah. They right. just have to learn it. Awesome. Well, Reese, thank you so very much. This has been an absolute yeah, blast. And I'm so stoked that we yeah. got it to work especially amongst all the technical difficulties that we've had. Just considering this was supposed to be started like an hour before it actually did, but for some reason, Microsoft Teams is just impossible to work and nothing works. And so I'm going to, if Microsoft Teams was a brick, I'd throw it through the well, window. Well, that was as we got there. We worked through the problem. Yes. Through many phone calls, many emails, many... Do you know what's going on? To be quite honest, no, I have no clue what is going on. But we made it, we made it work in the end of it. And 
this it, it's been awesome. It's been educational, insightful, but also just just super inspiring to even hear that someone who we perceive as as like a as a legitimate professional and someone who has like life experience and work experience and design experience is now going back to school for something totally different. It's like it's kind of like giving everybody else permission to be able to do that same cool. thing. So I'm glad, glad you guys it's, had uh, it. It's, 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 it's an amazing feeling. I'm glad to, yeah. glad to spread I'm, the good energy I'm out super there. You glad. Know? Yes. We need more good energy in the world. And we will have, we'll tell, well, we can, we'll, you're more, you're welcome to come on the podcast. Absolutely. Anytime you want. If there's, if there's anything design related you want to talk about, you tell us and we awesome. will have you on the show. Absolutely. No problem about that. <laughs> Good to know. And if you have any questions for us, send us an email to hide out the process podcast at gmail.com. Zach Watson. What is our Instagram? The process underscore underscore podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Reese Bennett on episode 89 of the process podcast. Thank you. Good night. Peace.